and gentlemen, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and here in Seoul, it is Friday evening, the 16th of October. But over there in Europe, it's barely lunchtime. Joining me via Skype from Denmark is my guest today, Mats Brugger. Welcome, Mats. Thank you very much, Jacko. Mats Brugger is a Danish filmmaker. He could be called a provocateur or even a provoke-auteur. In 2009, he released The Red Chapel, in which he took two Danish comedians who are ethnically Korean to North Korea under the guise of cultural exchange, but actually as a kind of parody. Earlier this week, Mads released his second documentary to focus on North Korea, this time called The Mole, which was screened on the BBC as well as other networks. Uh, so thank you for joining me. To skip to the chase, I'm going to assume that our listeners have already seen the documentary. In case they haven't, could you tell us where people can watch it? Well, if you are residing in Scandinavia, uh, specifically uh, Denmark, uh, Sweden, or Norway, it's uh, accessible through the public service uh, networks and their uh, platforms. And if not you are Iceland in the, Finland. I, that I am not sure about, to be frank with you. Um, okay. If you are in the UK, you can see it on the iPlayer. Um, for the rest of the world, it is uh, geoblocked. Uh, as of uh, now, but I wow. assume that um, we, we, are, we are getting a lot of interest in, in, in the mold. So uh, we yeah. are discussing uh, sales and territories and so on. So it will be uh, out there pretty soon. Excellent. How long is the film in total? Well, um, the television networks in Scandinavia and the BBC had uh, different needs. So they had like bespoke versions made. Uh, there's ah. a Three-part version for um, for Denmark and uh, Sweden, and uh, also Norway, if I remember correctly. And then the BBC wanted a two-part version. Yeah. All in all, it's approximately two hours. Two hours. Okay. So uh, then, for for people who are not living in uh, Scandinavia or the United Kingdom, uh, and who are unable to uh, make their computer trick the internet into believing that they're in the United Kingdom. Would you describe in one sentence what this two-hour film shows? Well, it uh, documents, a, a, in essence, a 10-year-long infiltration process where a mole is brought into the Korean Friendship Association. Uh, and uh, later on, the mole is asked to find investors who will invest in North Korea, a fake businessman is introduced. They go to North Korea. They meet with North Korean uh, officials and arms dealers. Uh, deals are made. Um, contracts are signed. Um, I know this is more than than you know. It's it, it's. I'm beyond an elevator pitch now. But but it is a yeah. fairly complicated and and also should I say uh, outrageous story. And they go. They keep on meeting with North Korean arms dealers uh, in various places around the world, making plans for a secret uh, underground weapons and drug factory in Africa. Uh, also, triangular deal is discussed, the, through which you can circumvent or bust sanctions against North Korea, and, and, and so it continues. Okay, and then there's also a, uh, a debriefing where uh, you have a, an ex-MI6 agent take uh, the mole... Um, and also the, the fake businessman off into a, a nice country house in, in Great Britain somewhere for a debriefing session. How long was that debriefing? Was that a couple of days or, or just a few hours? 
She is, to be pre- precise, Jaco, um, a former MI5 agent. I beg your pardon, um, MI5. No problem. Uh, it was um, during a couple of days. The reason was because the mole and the fake businessman and I, we are all Danish, and it would yes. be somehow absurd if I would be doing the debriefing in English, all of us that, speaking Danish, I mean. And also, also, I was in need of a proper intelligence officer who could right. ask the right questions. Maybe also questions, you know, me being a, a journalist uh, yeah. and as such, you know, regarding uh, espionage, tradecraft, you know, a, a amateur, basically, yeah. uh, who could ask the right questions. And uh, Annie Machon, that is her name, she really delivered, I think. Now, uh, I asked that question early because... Um uh, as you say, that that debriefing took a couple of days, and it, it's condensed down to a film of of uh, two hours. Ideally, uh, for this podcast, I would like to debrief you, uh, Mads, for a good couple of days, and then edit down the best parts for a one-hour podcast. But unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. So I'm just I've I've written as many questions as I can, and we'll try to get through uh, as many as we're able to get through in the time allotted to us. So uh, let's go. When you um, you you said earlier that this film was a ten-year project, at what stage did you get involved? Well, uh, right from the beginning, it begin when I am approached uh, by a man I have never met or heard of, uh, a completely unknown Danish man who had seen my first film about North Korea, The Red Chapel, and uh, mm-hmm. that had inspired him, you know, to, to become involved. His uh, proposal is that he will continue in my footsteps because I cannot mm-hmm. go back to North Korea after The Red Chapel. Right. Um, but he proposes that he will be my own personal mole. And um, initially, he will infiltrate the Danish North Korean Friendship Association. Mm-hmm. I told him, you know, um, basically, I, I know these guys. They are a small group of elderly uh, hippies, basically, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and as such, completely harmless. Um, I thought, you know, introducing a mole amongst them would be a overkill. But uh, I told him, you know, let's see what happens and keep me posted. And um, I was also expecting that as time went by that he would lose interest. But mm. he, he he continued. And uh, he has a lot of time because he is a retired chef. And as such, you know, can, can invest a lot of time in this. When uh, So obviously at some point along the way you decided, ah, there's a there's, there may be a film in this. Uh, and what I wonder is what were you trying to achieve when you decided that moment? What was the... The aim of your film at the beginning? Well, that was in the the spirit of documentary filmmaking. It's, you know, uh, let's see what happens, spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if nothing happens, well, you know, uh, then he has just been, you know, wasting his own time. Uh, yeah. But maybe, you know, as time goes by, uh, it will lead to something of interest, uh, also of international importance. The first turning point is when the moon goes to Pyongyang with uh, members of the Danish Friendship Association. And there he meets Alejandro Kautavinos. Um, yeah. And him I do know from when I traveled to North Korea the first time. And, uh, Indeed, yeah. And you, and you yeah. parted on bad terms after your first film. As you said, you can't go to North Korea again, uh, mainly yeah, because he would be able to stop that somehow. Yeah. Uh, what was it about the Red Chapel that he did not like? Well, uh, I, I haven't discussed the Red Chapel in details with Alejandro. Um, in the mole, you see Alejandro uh, 
having a you know long rant about how much he disliked me and the Red Chapel. Mm. He says that if he had been in North Korea while we were filming the Red Chapel, he would have smashed my face and thrown me down a mine. That's right. He did say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the um, the two comedians who are in that film, how are they doing these days? Are they uh, working as comedians in Denmark still? Well, uh, one of them is uh, Simon, the uh, the uh, bulky guy, uh, is uh, still a very successful comedian. Uh, Jacob um, has um, uh, graduated from university in sociology and journalism, if I remember correctly, and uh, became a father recently and is doing great. And uh, Simon and Jacob are both uh, still the uh, best of friends. Oh, good. Okay, well, that's nice. Uh, so, okay, so the mole then. What do you think the mole reveals about North Korea that wasn't already known before? Basically, the mole is, uh, and his uh, sidekick, Mr. James, they are uh, discovering and exploring a criminal network, uh, interlinking North Korean arms dealers and officials with their uh, enablers and collaborators in other countries, first and foremost, Alejandro Cautabinas, who is a, you know, a driver in all of this, a, a, a key person. And then also a Jordanian uh, businessman who um, seems to be very experienced with smuggling oil and other products to North Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so that, that is interesting. And, and, and through this, we, we get to, you know, see and meet North Korean arms dealers and officials um, they hand out hard copy catalogs of the weapon systems and price yeah. lists to the mole and Mr. James, which is also of interest. Throughout meeting with these North Korean arms dealers and officials, it also becomes apparent that the sanction seems to be working because they are quite desperate to, uh, mm. to uh, peddle or sell their, their weaponry and they are really in need uh, of uh, finding customers. Mm. And I would say most, most disturbingly, you know, is their willingness to deal directly with a private person, uh, Mr. Yeah. James, the fake the right. businessman. Uh, yes, and also that they are offering enormously advanced and fairly new weapon systems. Uh, we're not talking you know, small handguns here. We, we are talking uh, really uh, sophisticated uh, machinery. Now, is it a straight documentary or are there some fictionalized or dramatized elements in it? I did my best to do uh, as um, as transparent and uh, you know um, and and fully vetted a documentary as as possible. Uh, at the of start course, of the film, you do tease the viewers a little bit, suggesting you know uh, sort of asking the rhetorical question if the story of the mole is true, uh, yes. suggesting that it might not be true. So, is, is it all true? It is all true, uh, and what is not true in uh, or what is not true is you know declared as not being true. You know, Mr. James is not a oil billionaire in mm. real life. The reason why I address the motives of the mole in the beginning is because that is the explanation he offers whenever I have been asking him throughout yeah. you know the last ten years. Well, why are you doing this? When, when people are explaining about their motives, they are, you know, and that, that goes for everyone, that they are providing you with a narrative. Yeah. Um, sometimes these narratives are true. Sometimes it's a rationalization of something else. So, you know, I'm, I'm emphasizing that is his uh, explanation. It could be true. I don't know. But yeah, you, I, you have talked to him more than once over the 10 years and he gave a consistent story. Is that correct? That is correct. And um, 
I also want you know to address that immediately because throughout the last ten years in the circle of trust, you know, I have yeah. only been able to discuss this with a very few people. Whenever you know, I tell them about this. The, the first question is, why is he doing this? That is his explanation that he met with some uh, kids from the former Republic of uh, East Germany back in his um, childhood uh, teenage years. So he met some kids from East Germany uh, when he was a teenager, and that uh, something about that encounter uh, turned him off uh, totalitarianism. Um, yes. and, and, and that's why when he saw your documentary and he saw, ah, uh, North Korea, there's no freedom there. This is, uh, something that reminds me of East Germany. I want to do something about that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, he, he also, should I add, he also traveled to East Germany and met with the kids. So, you know, it, it was more than a one-off meeting. Right. Um, but uh, another, you know, Motivational factor is that as time has gone by and he has been to North Korea and dealt with Alejandro Cautabingas, that has definitely angered him and, you know, increased his uh, motivation to, you know, continue because um, he is definitely not um, in in favor of the regime in Pyongyang. Right. Now, um you uh where do i go from here you in the documentary you self-identify as a sensationalist if i recall correctly is that the word you used no i say that is when mr james visits uh, beijing to meet with north korean arms dealers and um, that is also in the spirit of being as honest and transparent as possible i am first i'm saying that people who are in the know about the dark side advised us strongly against going to Beijing to meet with North Korean arms dealers there. Right. We did so anyway. And uh, and because we did so, I, I think I need to you know explain why. And uh, part of the explanation is that Mr. James is a daredevil. You know, he, ah. he loves taking risks and he likes action. And then I say, me personally, as a filmmaker, I, you know, like sensational material. And I am not ashamed of, you know, liking sensational material. That does not imply that I am not, you know, doing a proper job as a journalist. Uh, you, no. you can you, you can be a, you know, a very thorough and, um, you know, skeptically thinking and working journalist. And, mm-hmm. and, and at the same time being, you know, uh, in front of sensations. That's, that's true. I'm just wondering, is there a danger that by sort of focusing... Uh, outside attention on the quirky and eccentric aspects of uh, North Korea and and the Korea Friendship Association, that it might be an obstacle to any in-depth study of North Korea, or it might uh, mask real suffering and real problems. Do you think that's a possibility? I, I suppose so, but you know, um, I think I think it was the uh, French playwright. Uh, Moliere, who said that the best way to bore your audience is to tell the full story. Genre-wise, this this is a basically a spy thriller, um, and um, there is not room or time in the film or in the series for you know um, exploring uh, you know aspects of North Korea regarding to the. F- famines uh, regarding um, whatever else um, 
uh, hardships that the, the North Koreans are, are going through. You know, the, the, you, you have to choose as a filmmaker about what, what is my what is the, 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 the narrative structure of my film and, and, and what kind of universe does my film or TV series uh, operate within? Okay, I understand. Um, now, some we here at uh, NK News heard that the reason why the mole was released on October 11th Uh, was because information about the documentary was already beginning to leak. So the release date was pushed forward to just the day after the big parade in Pyongyang. Is there any truth to that? Well, personally, you know, the uh, uh, the military parade in Pyongyang came as a complete surprise for me. Um, but the timing was perfect. Um, I think, you know, at that point in time, it The TV series had been, you know, thoroughly uh, scrutinized and analyzed by legal departments in the free Danish Scandinavian broadcasters, as well as mm -hmm. the BBC. The BBC also uh, employed a so-called second chair, a, um, a journalist in, who independently of the BBC and, and us was given access to all our material. Mm -hmm. You know, in order to uh, verify and uh, scrutinize our claims and documentation. But doing doing all that work meant that, you know, more and more people knew about the world coming. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's there's truth in when, in it as, as you know, we, we, we had to release it as as quickly as possible because otherwise, uh, you know, the word would, would spill. At, at what stage in the process did you approach the BBC and the Scandinavian channels about co-producing the documentary? Well, that was, you know, it was for a long while, it was very difficult to pitch this project to anyone because mm. of the, the secrecy uh, needed. The first broadcaster we, uh, we approached was the uh, Danish Broadcasting Corporation. And at that point in time, there was, you know, very little to show because the, the mole was still, you know, um, working his way up the ranks in the Danish Friendship Association. Yeah. Uh, and they basically told us, you know, could be interesting. Maybe it's a thought. Come back later. And for a while, we went along without any financing. But that was also possible because it was, a, a, a you know, a, an enormously uh, cheap project. You know, the, the mole was not given any money. Uh, you know, he was working for free, him being mm -hmm. an idealist. And uh, it was a matter of, you know, once in a while paying for his air flights or providing him with a, a small video camera. Um, after, you know, the mold became involved with the KFA and um, after Mr. James became involved, we had to have some serious backing and financing. And then that is would be around 2014, 15, 16. Gradually, other broadcasters became involved as well as the Danish and Norwegian film institutes yeah. who are also supporting uh, the project. It does seem like it would have been a very expensive film to make uh, with all the flying around hotels, yachts, choppers. Uh, the uh, the film institutes and the uh, the broadcasters, you know, yeah. So, uh, but but the it was in during the I would say the end game. I would say in, in 2017, 18, 19, it became an expensive affair. Are you able to give a ballpark figure for the final budget of the film? I would love to do so, Diego, but I, I simply do not know how much we are talking about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not because I want to keep it uh, 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 as a secret, but I, sure. I am not in possession of the uh, of the overall budget. And the the mole you mentioned that at the that he was working, uh, you know, without any uh, compensation apart from you know costs uh, recompensed. Was that the case all the way through to the end of the documentary that he did everything for free? Yes, he did everything for free. And that, that I told him right from the beginning, I will never yeah. be able to pay you any money for this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so he did everything for free. Mr. James, his uh, sidekick, uh, is yeah. hired in as an actor, and he was given right. payment for his services. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he, wa- he was once a member of the Foreign Legion, so it, it may not be unfair to call him a mercenary. Definitely no. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he uses that title on his business card, but I, I, I would... You know, if he's not in the same room as me, I would be happy calling him a mercenary. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he would mind. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, now, when did you finally decide to end the investigation and, and wrap up the film? That would be after Mr. James went to Cambodia and met with uh, North Korean arms dealers and was uh, shown uh, what they call uh, special items, um, which are quite advanced um, weaponry also for electronic warfare. And when he came back with these recordings, you know, I was, by then I was kind of getting used to watching hours and hours of North Korean arms dealers. Yeah. So it, what you know, would have been extremely sensational and, and, and shocking for me, you know, maybe mm. five years ago, was becoming a bit like another day at the office. Which is a sign of, you know, that you are towards the end of, of you know, your, 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 your journey. Um, when was that, uh, that trip to Cambodia? When did that happen? In 2019. And, but also, um, we had taken it as far as we could. You know, the, the only, you know, step missing would, would be Mr. James to do a, a real transaction, you know, to give yeah. them money and pay for arm, armaments and, and so yeah. on. But that would be moving into real crime, and that, that is not, you know, where where we we want to go. I've only seen the film once, uh, and uh, how and why did that meeting in Cambodia come about? Was that suggested by the North Koreans? We definitely definitely did not want to meet them in Pyongyang anymore. You know, after the death of Otto Wambier, it was decided, you know, we cannot go back to Pyongyang. Ah. Um, and then, you know, when we were discussing meetings with them, uh, they would suggest, you know, different locations. Uh, sometimes um, Russia was proposed, um, mm. Beijing, as is uh, stated in the film. I, you know, if I recollect correctly, you know, Mr. James asked, uh, what about somewhere in Asia? And then uh, yeah. Cambodia was uh, put on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when they uh, when the North Koreans traveled to Cambodia and other places like Uganda, did they pay their own way? Yes, that is very important uh, because we were very keen on not giving the North Koreans money at any point. They it's are, not unusual, they, though, that people who, um, you know, even people who meet them in China sometimes get stuck with the bill for their travel. So that, that, how did you avoid that? You know, our, our principle for engagement was that we cannot cover uh, air flights for the North Koreans. Uh-huh. So, you know, we did not offer to cover the air flights. And yep. uh, if I remember correctly, they, they didn't ask for it neither. And we, we were also very keen on not staying at, at, at the same hotels as, as they yep. were staying in. So they were taking care of costs uh, themselves. 
Now, was it at the meeting in Cambodia? Uh, did the North Koreans say something about um, the defeat of ISIS means they don't have as many clients anymore and they were sort of hoping Mr. James could suggest some more? Yes, they they seem to be quite uh, desperate. You know, uh, Mr. Danny, the, uh, the guy who is in charge of the uh, North Korean entourage in Cambodia, yeah. he says that uh, after uh, the fall of the Islamic State in Syria, uh, we basically don't have any customers. Uh, huh. Please, please help us uh, find find customers for us. Right. Now, Mr. Danny, uh, was he also in Beijing, or am I getting confused here? He he set up the meeting in Beijing. Um, right. And uh, but later on, he tells Mr. James, "I cannot do that meeting myself, but ah. uh, other other people will be there." Um, so he meet two other, at that point in time, two uh, new North Korean uh, Amsterdamers yep. we had not met before. And then uh, the, the second day, um, a familiar face shows up, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, in order to uh, verify the identity of Mr. James. That, that's the man you call Stoneface? That is uh, Stoneface, yes. The the men you met in Beijing, the first two, the ones not stone-faced, but the other ones, uh, did you get the feeling that they were the main arms dealers and all the other guys were just messengers? Well, you know, that is now we are moving into the realm of speculation. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the analysis of Mr. James is that um, the bulky guy whom he met in Beijing, um, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, his name is Yang. He seems to be on par with, or maybe a notch above, Mr. Denny. But mm. that is, you know, a, a qualified guess. But at least on the same level as Mr. Denny. His uh, sidekick, a, a younger guy who he is, uh, we do not know. And what about Mr. Stoneface? Has he ever been identified? I have been, in, after the release of the mole, I, I have heard from, uh, I would say, qualified sources who... Yeah. Uh, who seem to be in the know about whom Stoneface is, but um, most importantly for me, you know, you know, is that they confirm that he is uh, the real deal. A real deal uh, of what, though? A real uh, arms dealer, real intelligence guy? It could 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 be both, uh, but that is a qualified guess for me yeah. based on on my sources. Right. Um, it's fascinating. Uh, now. I'm jumping a little bit back and forth here because sometimes you know the, the questions are coming out of order based on on what you're saying. So Ulrich, the man who we call the mole, um, you've you've enabled him. We've got we've heard a little bit about his motivation, but uh, w was that enough to keep him going for ten years? Especially the uh, keeping everything a secret from his wife. That must have been difficult. Definitely yes, but uh, you have to keep in mind that he you know he is a, a retired chef who, uh, you know, um, uh, is uh, is living on government uh, subsidies. Um, yeah. And um, as such, you know, his life is not that action-packed or, or thrilling. I think, you know, being the mold was providing his life with some um, adventure, basically. Were there um, times when he said to you, oh, I can't go on any longer, I, I want to tell uh, my wife and kids? No, never. And, I, and, and you know, and, 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 and I, I was sort of expecting that would pop up at one point, but it never did. And, uh, and, and never did I put pressure on him, you know, telling him, you know, you have to continue. Right. So, so it, it, it is him, you know, being uh, very patient, uh, very, you know, Protestant about this, you know, just you would just keep keep keeping on going. Um, mm -hmm. 
Now, his wife is, um, she is not that interested in North Korea. I would assume, you know, most people are not, you know, North Korea nerds or obsessed with North Korea as, you know, maybe you and I are. Yeah, it um, may surprise you to know that my wife doesn't even listen to my podcast. I can't believe it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, you, have, you have proven my point. Yeah. So, but of course, she knew that he was a, a member of a North Korean friendship group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she just thought, you know, what, what, whatever makes your your club tick, uh, and, and did not take as very much interest in it. You know, the reasons why she was not told was first of all to keep her, you know, um, uh, you know, not not to uh, worry her, yes. you know, but also for safety, you know, because if she knew someone who knows someone, and right. you know, it it was very important to contain. The, the, the full knowledge about this uh, operation to as few people as possible. So 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 when you see the scene in the film where he tells her about it or fully disclose what he has been doing, uh, yes. that 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 is the first time she is told. All right. Uh, now at the end, I, I've got some questions sort of about the fallout of the film. So I'm going to save my question about her reaction uh, for the end. There, I'd like to talk for a little bit about the the Korea Friendship Association. Uh, in your view, does the KFA act independently, but with some degree of authority from North Korea, or or do they get their instructions from embassies? And how do you think it works? I have recordings where Alejandro speaks about how he needs to send speeches held within, you know, K, held at uh, KFA meetings mm. to em- uh, embassies, who will then pass it on to Pyongyang. Uh, so there seems to be a, you know. A correspondence, a connection between the KFA and embassies. At one point in Brussels, the uh, North Korean ambassador to London is making mm-hmm. a speech. Right, uh, I saw that. That was quite something. And of course, then there is Alejandro Cardenas himself, who at one point in the film says that he is working for a ministry in Pyongyang, which is above all the other ministries. I don't know, maybe it's Office 39. Um, it could be. Yes, uh, certainly there's some questions about him specifically. Uh, but before I get to him, the, the KFA in Scandinavia, how big and how active is it? Well, that is a question you should ask the mole first and foremost. Um, okay. But uh, it, there, there are quite a few members, uh, in, in, especially in Norway and Sweden. Um, mm. You know, in the film, you have a KFA member who is making a very... Um, uh, rhetorically, um, uh, you know, bellicose uh, speech in Dublin. So, uh, so the, the, they are def- they have uh, boots on the ground, uh, the KFA in Scandinavia, and, uh, and some of the members are quite uh, fanatical. So it seems. Yeah. Now, uh, turning to Alejandro, uh, you already knew him uh, quite well from the, your first uh, trips to uh, North Korea. Did you learn anything about him in the process of making this film that you didn't already know about him? I would say so, yes, because uh, for a long while, uh, also during the making of this film, I thought of Alejandro as a bit of a, you know, clownish figure, uh, you know, a, a braggart. Um, and, you know, yes, he is making these outrageous claims about how he can, um, you know, uh, connect the Mola Mr. James with uh, North Korean arms dealers and makers of uh, methamphetamine. Yeah. But I thought, you know, at the end of the day, Alejandro will not be uh, capable of, you know, delivering. I, you know, I, I found it difficult to, you know, to believe that anyone in Pyongyang would take Alejandro seriously. 
but then, you know, lo and behold, uh, they go to Pyongyang and uh, suddenly they are in a room with arms Armstealers uh, discussing uh, contracts and corporations. Later on, Alejandro uh, seems to be a, uh, you know, a driver in setting up a triangular deal with North Korea, uh, Mr. James, and a Jordanian businessman mm. who is uh, very fond of Alejandro. And um, there is an access with Alejandro and his um, counterpart in Pyongyang, Mr. Kang. That, you know, seems to be a, um, a quite, you know, um, powerful link. He says in the film at one point that he has contacts all the way up to Kim Jong-un uh, and also suggests that he has the power to grant visas to North Korea. Is this believable? I, I, I simply don't know, Jacko. You know, uh, throughout the making of this film, Alejandro has kept on surprising me. What I have learned about Alejandro, you know, through dealing with him throughout the years is that you should never underestimate him, nor should you overestimate him. Um, mm. But he is a, a source of uh, constant surprises. Of course, your film does show how he sets up the meetings and things, but because of uh, Alejandro's legal difficulties in Spain, he's unable to uh, to visit North Korea together with Mr. James. And so... If I remember correctly, we don't actually see Alejandro in the same room with any of the uh, the people who are supposedly, you know, going to organize the weapons and methamphetamines factories. So is there any, any hard evidence? Have you seen any or heard any that Alejandro has actually been uh, involved in dealing weapons or drugs or uh, factories or technology to make those things? Not just making the connections, but actually, you know, signing papers and doing the deals. Well, uh, first and foremost, you, you do see uh, a glimpse of Alejandro and Mr. Kang together in Pyongyang. Uh -huh. um, and uh, also uh, when they are meeting with the North Korean arms dealers and intelligence people in Pyongyang, the mole is making a speech about how he will inform or brief Alejandro about the, the, the dealings uh, once he is back in Europe. There is a lot of correspondence between uh, the Mole and Alejandro regarding uh, especially uh, the triangular deal um, with um, the businessman in Jordan and, uh, and North Korea. Uh, he is fully aware of everything and is constantly being briefed about everything. I, you know, I think there's more than sufficient documentation to, uh, to, to prove that Alejandro is you know, heavily involved in this mm. venture. Uh, now we've uh, we've asked Alejandro on the uh, the podcast before. Actually, even before I knew that your documentary was coming out a couple of months ago, I emailed Alejandro to uh, invite him on the podcast, and he has uh, steadfastly refused. He's not happy uh, with NK News in general, but he did send us uh, a, an email in answer to some questions um, in response to your uh, your film that I will uh, refer to uh, at the end of the podcast. Uh -huh. um, so going back to so the, the process of making the film, uh, there's this this meeting where um, the mole is visiting Alejandro either at his house or at his North Korea themed bar, uh, and Alejandro pulls out a bug detector um, to check for bugs, and it's it you know the very tense moment. Of course, we think the mole's about to be discovered. He doesn't get discovered. He comes out and drives away, and then pulls out the uh, the mic. Um, in, in a public place under an overpass. Did it all happen just like that? Yes, it uh, it did. Uh, it's it's exactly as it uh, played out. 
And do bugs or hidden microphones still look like that? I mean, it, it did look a bit like 1990s tech, a giant packet of cigarettes taped to a man's torso and a, and a wire attached to a microphone. Don't, don't have any smaller technology these days? Well, uh, possibly, yes. But, you know, we do not have access to, you know, the, the uh, latest, uh, uh, you know, uh, intelligence service quality or grade uh, body wires. Um, and I so, suppose luckily for you, Alejandro didn't have access to the latest intelligence quality bug scanner. Well, actually, the uh, the bug scanner is working, you know. Oh. So um, so it, it does pick up on the on on the wire uh, which the mole is wearing. Uh, it's because the mole is, you know, surprisingly, you know, more cold than ice than I could ever expect or dream of. Um, yeah. and, and, and suggests that that the uh, bug detector is picking up on the car keys um, for right. his rental car. Yeah. And Alejandro uh, and buys into that. Um, but it's yeah. also, you know, so very interesting that Alejandro is in possession of a bug detector. Right. And, uh, but maybe I think Alejandro, you know, should be given a course in how to operate that detector and also, you know, um, read its, um, its, you know, signals the right way. Right. He, he should have been a bit more careful there. Um, you, one of the, the most interesting things from a news and intelligence gathering perspective was that uh, Mr. James and uh, and the mole were able to get a catalog, a printed color catalog of North Korean weapons. Um, was the version that we saw on camera exactly the same as what the North Koreans gave? Yes, it's exactly the same. And were you able or was uh, the mole able to get any soft copy version as computer files? We also have uh, computer files, which are uh, showcasing uh, various kinds of hardwares uh, and anti-tank systems, mm. uh, electronic warfare items. And then, uh, and then in Cambodia, Mr. James was giving uh, an inventory list or a, a, a menu of uh, special items, which seems to be fairly new products, mm. uh, top-shelf products from uh, North Korea. With the uh, the soft version, the, the files that you got, have any sort of uh, digital forensics been run on them uh, and have they revealed anything interesting? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, but that will uh, probably uh, happen um, uh, within uh, the foreseeable future. Mm. If you were to add a bonus footage section sort of on the DVD of your film release, what would be included in that that wasn't that didn't make it to the final cut of the documentary? Well, that is a recording the mole made in Pyongyang when he was visiting with Mr. James because uh, he was afraid if the North Koreans would begin scrutinizing his recordings. So he wanted mm. something on tape which would prove to them that he was a fanatical, steadfast, loyal uh, supporter of North Korea. Uh -huh. So he made this very eerie, disturbing recording of him making a speech into the camera wearing his North Korean um, business attire mm -hmm. uh, about uh, how much he loves uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, how much he supports the leadership, how much he hates America. Uh, and it's, it's a very... Um, yeah, as I said, an eerie and disturbing scene. That sounds creepy. Uh, now, the, the, the catalogue was from the Nare Trading Corporation. Is that right? Yes. 
And they, they uh, were the, the, uh, the signatories to uh, at least one of the contracts shown in the film. Uh, and that company was mentioned in the September uh, United Nations Panel of Experts report uh, as a firm dealing in uh, sanctioned items. Has the United Nations expressed an interest in looking at raw footage of your film or, or have you showed it to them? They have expressed interest and um, we are in uh, dialogue with the UN uh, about uh, sharing our intelligence and uh, footage with them. Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, we have to establish what sort of material they are interested in because yeah. the amount of material we have is enormous. We also have, mm -hmm. you know, recordings which are, which is, uh, uh, which are sound only from, mm. for example, Beijing. We are also in possession of, you know, data points, you know, where do the North Koreans meet Mr. James at one point in time and, and mm. so on, which could also be of interest to uh, the UN panel. But uh, we are discussing this with them and will, uh, you know, cooperate with them. Now, uh, Mr. James, when he's uh, in that meeting in the, the basement restaurant, uh, or no, let me, let me rephrase it. Mr. James, when he's being debriefed by the MI5 debriefer, he says that he came up with a company named Targa Group on the spot and joked that he should try to remember it. Uh, the film implies that that happened during the basement restaurant meeting in Pyongyang, but in the same scene, they already had a contract with a company named Targa Investment Limited UK on it. Did you set up a company with that name beforehand? No. Um, that is, that is, you know, Mr. James telling the North Koreans that uh, that Targa, uh, if I remember correctly, Targa Group is a, a UK-based company. Mm-hmm. It's and, and a pure improvisation. So he really did make it up on the spot there at the restaurant. Yes, he did. But then, I, I, I thought... that, that, that's an enormous mistake, um, which I am part in because we should have foreseen that they would ask about what sort of company Mr. James was yeah. uh, working for and what the name of that company uh, was. Because when he does sign a contract, that name is there, Target Investment Limited UK. Yes. What, was there ever a Target Investment Limited UK shell company created by you or Mr. James for the purposes of the documentary? No. So, so it really, that, that brings me to the very uh, serious matter of uh, North Korean due diligence. Uh, did you see any sign that the North Koreans did any due diligence to find out if any of this stuff that they were being told was real or not? Well, you know, in the film, the mole talks about how Mr. Kang, uh, the North Korean official whom they are dealing with, uh, he asks the mole, you know, are you sure Mr. James has all the money he is talking about? Mm -hmm. um, so that that is, you know, an expression of some sort of due diligence, I would say. Sure. Well, um, yes. Apart from that, you know, not not really, and that that is also a surprise for me. But I think part of it is because. This has been going on for such a long time, gradually building up trust between the Mole and the North Koreans, uh, the Mole and Elrando Cautabinos and Mr. James, you know, meeting in Oslo, in Madrid, and then finally him going to Pyongyang, um, which means, you know, gradually they are, you know, trusting the Mole and Mr. James as, you know, serious players. You know, I would put myself in their place. I do not understand why they do not ask for, say, you know, proof of funds. You know, you yeah. say you are a, an oil billionaire. And let me see your Credit Suisse bank statement, for example. Right. Um, but that did, never happened. 
I mean, we know that some people uh, in the uh, elites in North Korea, they have access to the Internet. If they had searched for uh, Mr. James's real name, the name that he signs on the contracts, they would have found a little bit about him. If they'd searched for Targa, they would have found that that didn't exist. Was there ever, did, were you ever worried that they would do some due diligence and work out, hey, this doesn't look right? Definitely. You know, I, um, I foresaw, you know, if they would scrutinize the... The mold. They would discover that yes, he is in fact a retired chef living in the outskirts of Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. Regarding Mr. James, they would discover that he has a past as a high-ranking drug dealer and career criminal in um, in Denmark. And as I saw it, you know that would not necessarily disqualify Mr. James in uh, the eyes of the North Koreans. Uh, I don't know if they found out about Mr. James's. Uh, you know, past, but uh, that was a likely scenario with, uh, as far as I saw it. Sorry, so they did find out, did they? I, I, I don't know, um, but but that is what, you know, they would have discovered if they had begun scrutinizing him. Yes. Yes. Yeah, could, I mean, I, okay, it, it, I suppose it's, it's possible that... Uh, that none of the North Koreans did a simple Google search, but it's a bit hard that uh, the Jordanian businessman, Mr. Al Dasuki, um, mm. who who has some background in uh, oil sales and you know is a bit mm. more, uh, let's say, worldly wise than your North Korean arms dealers, he mm. also didn't uh, do any due diligence. It seems. So it seems, you know, um, this is again, you know, you know, me second guessing or speculating. Um, yeah. But again, you should consider, you know, uh, how much Alejandro Caudepinas trusts the, the mole and that yeah. trust he has passed on to uh, Al Dasuki, the Jordanian businessman. Right. Alejandro is also, you know, almost, um, you know, let's say, you know, very warm feelings for Mr. James. He really likes Mr. James. Mm. Uh, and um, that, you know, um, sympathy and trust he has also passed on to uh, Al Dasuki. Whether he did any um, due diligence or investigations himself, I, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have no, you know, signs of him doing so. Now, there's also a, a short uh, section in the documentary uh, involving a side trip to America. I think it's either before uh, the mole's first trip to North Korea or uh, at some stage. Um, what value does that section add? Well, it, it solves a practical problem for me because um, that is before he is going back to North Korea with Mr. James. Ah, and, yes. uh, and now, you know, gradually, you know, we, we are upping the game. So mm -hmm. to speak, yeah. And um, I was in real need of someone who could teach the mole basic tradecraft, you know, counter surveillance, data security, how to handle himself proper uh, as as a mole. Mm -hmm. And you know, of course, I could have hired a an intelligence specialist or security specialist here in Denmark, uh, partly because this, as I see it, is a a film for an international audience. Uh, I was in need of someone, you know, English speaking. Yeah. Um, and um, then, you know, uh, I was, you know, searching um, for um, the right person. And then I discovered a former CIA agent. Uh, and he is the one who is doing that job in the film. 
I, I think the uh, one of the more memorable bits uh, for me from that was that uh, he's trying, he's teaching the mole who who he learn is um, uh, a chef living on a disability pension and had to quit his job because of health. He's now being trained how to disarm a man and take his gun from him after a quick lesson from a former CIA officer. Yes, yes, it's uh, an extraordinary uh, scene. Uh, um, is, is that former CIA man, how, how legit or how credible is he uh, driving through the streets of D.C. wearing a balaclava? Surely that's taking a risk, isn't it? In the film, you see him parking uh, his car with, with the mole inside it uh, at a parking lot uh, outside of uh, Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, whenever we were recording his face, he was wearing the balaclava. Um, mm. But uh, I... I not at one point when we were driving around with him, not filming his face, was he wearing it? Mm, I see. Uh, uh, yeah. But he, he is a, a legitimate uh, and, and credible ex-CIA man, as far as you're aware? Yes, uh, 100%. Mm. Um, the, uh, throughout the film, our uh, the, the credulity of the viewers is stretched by the amazing situations in which the mole is allowed to use a camera. Of course, it starts off fairly innocuous. He's filming KFA meetings, uh, but then later on uh, in meetings, you know, uh, where there are discussions about much more serious topics, uh, and and then of course in Uganda, talking with those government officials, and then even when he's not allowed, he simply films things secretly and never gets caught. Were there any important moments that you lost because they could not be filmed, either covertly or overtly? Not really. I think you know the. Um most of the meetings uh, and 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 you know um, impo- important encounters uh, which um, the mole took part in uh, is on uh, on film or uh, in sound. So um, I, we don't miss out on anything essential. I would say. Now the uh, the triangle deal involving Syria and Jordan uh, help me to uh, to remember and our listeners as well. So the the uh, North Korea will send uh, missiles to Syria. Uh, uh, no, Mr. no, no. Uh, first, Mr. James pays Al Dasuki for uh, oil, which oil, he then right. transports to North Korea. In yep. return, North Korea will uh, deliver. Um, technicians uh, and uh, you know in the contract it says tourist goods which is a euphemism for uh, weapons parts for weapons and also uh, chemicals and various other products to the island of Mr. James in Uganda. He will then uh, assemble uh, or repackage these uh, products and then sell them, dis- distribute them, and uh, then you know from the profits he he makes on selling uh, dr- drugs and weapons. Basically, he yeah. will then buy more oil uh, from Mr. Dasuki and send it to North Korea, and right. you know so goes the triangle. But this, but Syria was involved too, wasn't it? Or not? Yes. It's a side story because when in Uganda and meeting with Mr. Danny and uh, his um, North Korean associates, um, yeah. the, Mr. Danny asked Mr. James, you know, while we're at it, can you help me transport uh, our products to Syria? Uh-huh. Uh, he says uh, projectiles and bombs. 
Uh, and Mr. James says, yes, I, I, I can do that. And then he says, then you need to go to Beijing for our next meeting. And then Mr. James goes to Beijing. And mm-hmm. and it seems as if the, the North Koreans really have a transport problem. Uh, they have some items they need to deliver uh, in Syria. Mm. Um, the uh, the main uh, arms dealer in Beijing mentions uh, missiles and uh, various kind of uh, small arms, and they need someone who can handle the trans the, the transportation. Uh, at that point, maybe also for the North Koreans, the uh, Uganda project could be a solution, which right. is why they are very interested in uh, moving ahead with the uh, with the uh, island in Uganda. And they seem to be very impatient about Mr. James buying the island and, you know, getting things going. Yes. The deal with the oil uh, with Mr. Aldousuki, was that was the total amount of that deal three point two million dollars or was that just an initial payment? Uh, that was uh, the uh, I think the initial uh, down payment on the oil, as far as I remember. I, I'm not 100 ah. percent sure on that. Uh, so, but it but, does seem like a small amount in terms of oil trade for so much risk and trouble and also to take so long. Yes, I think it was a, you know, um, a trial deal um, ah. and, 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 and more, you know, money would follow. Because I think if I recall correctly, he's meeting with Aldousuki. The first one was in 2018. Uh, and then he gets an email late in 2019, something like October 2019, from Mr. Aldousuki yeah. saying, uh, hurry up and pay the money. So the, the, the time, it does seem to drag a little bit around that time. Was there a, a delay in the project or were, was the North Koreans stalling? Well, basically, Mr. James was stalling, um, ah. you know, not, not paying uh, uh, the money which he had uh, signed a contract, uh, which uh, obligated him to, 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 to pay. I see. Um, and Dasuki was also threatening about uh, making threats about taking Mr. James to court in, yeah. in Jordan. Then at a later point, realizing that that would probably not be a lawsuit he would win. Right, uh, would always cover. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, at that point in time, when they are meeting in Copenhagen with Mr. Ju, um, yeah. a North Korean envoy, the North Koreans have become, you know, you know, very impatient, to say the least, about Mr. James and... Um, the lack of action on his behalf. It is amazing that he was able to drag it out that long then, isn't it? Because mm. they're, they're so. impatient, they need the money, they want the island, they want the oil. Uh, they've got a man you know, who they haven't done due diligence on, and he's able to drag this on for quite some time. Yes. With, I, without I, ever paying any actual money. That was a mystery to me. Why, how come the North Koreans not at any point said, you know, we are through with you because, mm. you know, we are wasting our time here. But that yeah. did not happen. Did, was, did you ever get the feeling that maybe Mr. Aldousuki was trying to scam Mr. James of $3.2 million? Like, was that a real deal or was that a scam too? I think it was a real deal because, uh, the, you know, I have read the correspondence between Aldousuki and the mole. And um, he, you know... Um, he, he, he really, really wants to go through with the deal. And he's also writing about how he has already made orders or, or reservations for the arm and uh, how that would, uh, you know, uh, be a problem for him if the deal does not go through. Now, I think if I remember correctly in the film, you kind of implied that Mr. James was operating independently in this part of the story. Is, is that right? 
Well, I maybe I did not phrase it as good as I could have. You know, I'm. It's more in the line of that he is becoming a character of his own uh-huh. in, in the film. You know, um, living a life of his of his own. Um, right. Uh, and um, and but 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 you know, we, we all the time we were in in, in close communications and uh, and 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 uh, and everything was uh, was good. Now, it was Mr. James who was supposed to pay Mr. Aldosuki, right? Yes. Uh, going through Alejandro Cautabinas, as far as I remember correctly, but 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 mm-hmm. again, that 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 is um, you know my 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 memory and um, but uh, but he is you know and the the reason why I have a little doubt here is because Alejandro is mentioned in the contract. Yeah, that's what I was exactly. It, it seems to be that the contract with Mr. Aldazuki is with the DPRK, uh, yes. not with Targa Investments. But I, if I remember correctly, and that is also what Alejandro speaks about when he meets the mole in uh, Barcelona for initial talks about the triangle deal, that, that Mr. James would pay the money directly to Aldazuki in Jordan, because mm-hmm. as Alejandro says, it's, it phrases that Aldazuki has a strong bank account. Right, a strong, yeah. Gosh, uh, now, uh, what's been the reaction to uh, to your film? What, what, have, what have you heard uh, and what kind of reprisals or blowback did you expect even before it happened? Well, um, the critics in Denmark so far are you know, very excited about uh, the, um, the film or the TV series um, and... Um, you know, Mr. James and the Mole, are, they are also getting a lot of uh, response and uh, mm. feedback from uh, from uh, the the Danish audience, uh, but also people in in Norway and and Sweden. Then came, of course, uh, the re, uh, the response from the North Korean embassy in, in Stockholm, and uh, they are yes. very uh, excited about the um, the film, to say the least. They they call it a complete fabrication uh, mm. with the purpose of uh, smearing. Uh, pe- the People's Republic of uh, Korea. Yeah. Um, also, they claim that uh, when the mole visits uh, the embassy to pick up the uh, designs or the drawings for the uh, for the underground uh, factory in Uganda, that yes. it was the mole who brought the drawings or the designs with him. Right. Um, I, which I was going to ask you about that. A- an absurd allegation. We have a, an email from Mr. Kang in uh, Pyongyang where he writes about how he will send the uh, designs uh, through diplomatic mail to Stockholm, uh, mm. and then the mole can pick it up there. In this series, you also hear uh, Mr. Ri, the embassy secretary, saying Mr. Kang has sent these photos for you to check, which right. are photos of the, uh, of the drawings uh, for the uh, island project. Is this the same Mr. Ree who says um, the embassy doesn't know about this? Yes. He says if anything happens, the embassy right. does not know about this. Yes, that is the same person. Um, so you're saying – so basically your, your argument is that um, the statement coming out from the embassy in Stockholm is simply uh, they're just trying to cover um, and uh, cover it all up. Yes. Basically making it worse for themselves because uh, – we will uh, probably pretty soon uh, release uh, the, uh, the email from uh, Mr. Kang regarding uh, the um, transport of the drawings from Pyongyang to the embassy. 
Is there any way that you could also provide an extended clip of that visit by the mole to the embassy in which he receives the photos to show that it's not the other way around? Well, if, if needed be, but, you know, um, I, I think the the uh, the edit itself in the TV series documents what, what we are saying and the, the idea that the mole should have made or we should have made these designs ourselves and then introduce them into the embassy is pure craziness. Um, there's also been some response from Alejandro Caudebenos de Lesi Perez, who uh, wrote uh, to NK News, and uh, his argument is that he lied uh, to uh, to the mall and to Mr. James. He lied and he prepared a monumental bragging and fake sales pitch to impress Mr. James because he wanted to get more information from him and see what his real purpose or if he really wanted to be involved in something illegal. He also said he needed to have Mr. James's passport, the company behind him and real evidence to see what his intentions were. Uh, what's your response to Alejandro's comments? Well, I consider them to be... Uh completely absurd i think the uh, the tv series speaks for themselves um for example when he meets uh, mr james the first time in oslo the sales pitch alejandro is making is you know extremely co- convincing in terms of alejandro being you know very uh, eager about peddling north korean weapons and drugs it's also a sales pitch that he has been doing a lot of times before because he speaks in perfect written you know, almost dialogue, uh, monologue. And uh, and throughout the series, you know, it is, uh, you know, uh, evident that Alejandro is uh, fully in on everything. And uh, the, the idea that he is playing a role because he, uh, you know, wants to explore or discover something which I do not fully understand is uh, ludicrous. Could he have been trying to scam the mole and Mr. James out of money? Well, if that was his purpose, then he has been spending a lot of time and energy on basically nothing because mm. uh, he, he didn't get any money out of the mole or Mr. James. Now, the, uh, the governments of Scandinavian countries have also expressed their concern uh, about the activities uh, documented in the mole, uh, saying that we are deeply concerned about the contents of the documentary. Um, and they said that they will be tasking their United Nations missions to bring the documentary to the attention of the sanctions committee. Do you think there'd be any uh, reaction, uh, you know, any uh, expulsion, for example, of diplomats from uh, from D- uh, Denmark or Sweden? The only North Korean embassy in Scandinavia is the one in Sweden. And uh, yeah. I realized uh, that after I asked the question, that was stupid. Sorry. Uh, no problem. But but they are in uh, dire straits, I would say. Um, what happens now is, you know, that is basically a, a question you should ask um, the Swedish uh, Foreign Service about. Um, mm. uh, definitely, they are not happy about having an embassy in uh, Stockholm, which are taking part in setting up uh, a, an underground uh, weapons and drug factory in Uganda. Now, uh, speaking of Uganda, um, the reaction or the blowback for the the villagers, I mean, for me, one of the saddest scenes, one of the saddest sequences uh, in the whole film is that uh, you've got these villagers living on an island who have been told that they'll be getting a hospital. Uh, but the government's lying to them because it plans to move them off the island if Mr. James buys it for $5 million. In the end, of course, uh, the island is not sold. 
But what happened to those people? Um, and have you considered donating a share of the profits of this film to make a clinic for that village? Well, if I, you know, I, I ever would make, uh, you know, in, in, you know, a a surplus on this film, uh, mm. I would, uh, I would de definitely be looking towards the islanders in Uganda. Um, um, but you know, they are the victims of the, the landlord because uh, he is very eager to sell the island where they where they live. And uh, is totally, you know, um, cynical about whom he is dealing with, and uh, perfectly willing to expel all the islanders with very short notice. And also, is you know, as you see, island the owned by one individual. Yes. Oh, I thought it was nationalized or something. I didn't realize it was no, private. No, it's a it's a privately owned island. Uh, uh, and, okay, but, uh, but the government so people seem it, to be it, okay it, with this. Per perfectly fine with it. Yes. Um, one of the government people, uh, his name is uh, Moses, mm. is um, uh, not related to this film, but uh, involved in a massive corruption scandal in Uganda, uh, which does not come as a surprise to anyone who has seen uh, the film. Um, do you expect any uh, North Koreans who appeared in your film to, uh, to suffer consequences within North Korea? These are speculations which I, on principle, will refrain from. I am not responsible for whatever the North Korean regime do with their own citizens. Of course, there will be a blowback, and um, and you know they they definitely need need to reconsider how they are dealing with uh, foreign business partners and uh, and so on. But um, I do not want to speculate about how they will um, deal with their own. Has there been any blowback for uh, the Jordanian oil smuggler, Mr. Aldousuki, as far as you're aware? I do not know. Um, I think he, you know, has gone into hiding. But uh, I, I don't know if the uh, Jordanian uh, uh, authorities are, are dealing with him. I don't know. There was also a Jordanian power broker whose name was mentioned but was beeped out of the final cut of the documentary. Can you give us any clues as to his identity? No, I cannot. Uh, I would love to do so, but I, I have to keep that uh, confidential. Uh, Alejandro, what about him? Well, I, I don't know really. Um, you know, he, he was given a right to reply later, fully informing him about everything which is in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, then he made a statement to, um, I think, uh, to the BBC, Danish Broadcasting, uh, Norwegian Broadcasting, and Swedish Broadcasting. Um, since then, I have not, uh, we have not heard from him. Um, I would expect the Spanish authorities to, uh, you know, take interest in Alejandro because of this film. Mm. Um, but uh, how they are dealing with him and when they will be doing that, I do not know. Uh, Ulrich, we see him uh, talking to his wife and giving her the news. She she seems to be, you know, restrained, calm, but that may be because there are, you know, cameras on her. Um, how's he doing? He is doing fine and everything is good with him and his wife. Uh, at, at this point, are you concerned about your own safety and that of your cast and crew? Well, you know, whenever you are dealing with North Korea, you should have, you know, security concerns. Um, yeah. 
and we do take security for everyone, the entire film team, uh, very um, seriously. And uh, because of that, I would just find it unwise of me to be de- discussing our security situation. Sure. Uh, Mr. James, I think you, you said in the film that he's doing fine and he doesn't need any uh, any extra help. Is that right? He, he seems but, like a uh, man who can take care of himself. He is very much so. Uh, but whether he wants it or not, we are also, you know, on standby if everything, if, if anything should happen uh, to him or if he would receive any threats. Um, a, a year from now, uh, Mads, uh, do you think there'll be any more developments in relation to this film? That could very well be um, the uh, the fallout of the film could um, you know you know linger on for a long time um, and um, there could be you know responses or reactions which I would never have foreseen. So um, mm. let, let's see what happens. Can the KFA survive? As far as I see it, no, because this film totally disqualifies uh, the KFA and Alejandro. And you also have Alejandro, you know, bad-mouthing members of the KFA. You know, yeah, Dermot Hudson, uh, yeah, for example. Yes, so, so if, if, if you have seen this film and remain in the KFA, um, then, you know, the, the blame is on you, basically. <laughs> well... On, uh, that's probably a good note to finish on. I want to thank you very much, uh, Mads, for being so generous with your time today. Uh, we did go a little bit over time, but there were so many things I wanted to ask you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and do stay in touch uh, as there are f- f- further developments in the story. You are welcome, Jacob. I really enjoyed this talk. <laughs>